This morning, we continue our series as we look through this theme, Here is the Church. Uh, We have set out at the beginning of this year uh, to review uh, from the Word of God what is the foundation of the church, and what is the purpose of the church, and how do we function within God's church. And so over the last uh, few weeks, we have gotten kind of more into the Um, nitty-gritty of what God uh, has put forth in the church, the pastors and the deacons. And so today I invite you to take your Bible and turn first today to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10. And over the next several weeks, uh, we'll be looking at this idea of come, all Christians be committed. What is God's calling on us as believers uh, to the church? Now, of course, uh, we've talked about what the universal church looks like, how those who believe and place faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone for salvation belong to the church. But specifically, over these next few messages, uh, we're going to be looking at our calling as Christians uh, to the local manifestation, to the local church. Because uh, that's where you sit today. You sit in a local church. Uh, We're a uh, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that is consumed with making disciples. And that is what God has called the local church to do, to carry out the mission of the church that we have discussed. And so as we come in the doors uh, to church, um, we need to ask ourselves this question, what has God uh, called me to do and, and what is my responsibility to that? And I want to be up front. The title of this message communicates something to you, that God is calling those who believe in him to this. What the church is and what the church does doesn't mean a whole lot to someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Now, sure, you can go through a lot of religious acts and rituals, but what we're talking about is grounded in this fact that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is then that you can be part of the church in general and can carry out that mission inside the local church in which God has placed you. And so we look forward to looking through God's word once again because that is the, uh, the touchstone, the guide, the last word on all we say and do. And so we look to see what God has to say uh, to us through it today. Father, thank you for the time that we have set aside in our service to study the word of God together. Thank you for bringing uh, all who have come today here safely. Thank you for the freedom we have to worship you in this place. Thank you for the faithfulness of those who have come before us here, who laid the foundation of of this local body and have uh, continued, uh, even some to today who are here in the early days, have continued here still, uh, being faithful to hold forth the word of God and the truth of God. And Lord, we pray that you would help us today to be ever consumed with obeying you and to be ever consumed with doing church in a way that honors and pleases you. We ask today that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for one who does not know you as Savior who may hear this message today. It's never truly placed faith in Jesus Christ alone. Help them to realize that to be part of the church, to engage in the ministry of the church, you first have to be a part of that through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. May that be clear 
May this not just be a list of things that we do if we want to, you know, keep God happy or fulfill uh, requirements to satiate a, a soul asking questions, but may this truly to us um, be a, a conviction in our hearts. May you show us the truth of God, the love of God, that our lives may be changed evermore to the glory of God today. In your name we pray. Amen. The world that we live in today is built on the power of the consumer. If you don't like something, you can go somewhere else and find it. If you want to try a product or a service and discontinue it, well, you can sign up for the first month free or pay $9.99, and when you don't want it anymore, you can just say, hey, I don't want this anymore. And if you don't ever want to leave your house, you can have almost anything delivered to your door in two days which is fantastic, right? Because when you really, really need coffee filters and you really, really don't want to go to Walmart, you can get those coffee filters, right? Consumerism is the word of the times we live in. As a customer, your time, money, and the future time and money that you represent through your continued business are highly prized by companies and businesses. And the sad truth is that that mindset has found its way into our churches, Perhaps you've seen them. I was certainly bombarded this week. You know, sometimes as a pastor, my social media looks a little bit different. My algorithm looks a little different. I see all these church posts that come through. And I was reminded of this again this week because I don't know if you know this, but there was a really big football game that took place last week. And there were churches putting on themed services that revolved around that day, including one of them where they punted the Bible off the stage, okay? It's a horrendous thing. But it seems like every major holiday or event, or sometimes just every other week, there's some high-dollar, eye-catching production that makes you say this question, is this a church? You know, and as a pastor, I have to admit, I feel very bothered by those things when I see them. Actually, I kind of feel like Charlie Brown in the Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, where he says, my own dog, gone commercial, I can't stand it, Right? And I just, I feel like that sometimes as a pastor when you look, you look around. But the question is, why has this happened? What's with the, why have churches leaned into the stage productions, the entertainment, the consumerism, and away from what we may call the fundamentals of the faith? Well, because people in general are asking this question, why should I go to church, right? And the response has been to attempt to make church more entertaining and exciting so as to draw people in and enjoy the experience. But is that really the way? Is a church supposed to be such a reactionary organism to the whims and desires of the people? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's a good thing to say you should enjoy church, right? Nor do I think it's wrong to say that churches do grow and change with the culture that they, that they exist in. But surely, there are core values and elements of the Christian's desire for church that shouldn't change, right? And the answer is, shortly, yes. There are core values and things that should be present in the life of a Christian that should not change because they're rooted in God and in his word. 
Church isn't just something we do or another commitment we need to fulfill. It is an incredible privilege from the Lord. It is part of our redeemed mission for the kingdom. So in the coming weeks, I want to explore why we as Christians should highly value church. I said, I call this message or these messages, Come All Christians Be Committed. If you want the subtitle, you know, if you want to write the subtitle, Why Should I Go to Church? I guess you could write that under there. But again, it sounded a little too commercialized for me, I guess. And this is the, 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 the idea here, that Christians are called to dedication to the local church for the purpose of exercising the character of the new man and furthering the mission of the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, Paul says, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you are called in your everyday life, of course, to exercise the character that God has, is growing in you in the new man. But within the local church, you, you have specific avenues and ways you're supposed to do that. And you are also then engaging with that local church to the furtherance of the mission of the kingdom of God. Because remember, the church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the time in which we live. We live in the church age. And our home isn't this world. It's an eternity with God. And so we continue then to fulfill the mission by which God has given to us uh, to live out in the church. And so what is it that God calls Christians to do in the church. We've talked about the foundation of the church. We've talked about the general purposes of the church. And when I gave you the purposes of the church, perhaps you said, well, I see myself in that. Now I wanna, we want to hone that down a little more and talk about, okay, what is it that I individually, what am I supposed to be doing? What does the Bible tell me I'm supposed to be doing as I engage in my local church? Number one, what we're to do is to faithfully fulfill God's command. You're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Let's look there at verses 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first thing that we want to understand here is that God does give a command here in Hebrews 10. And I really think in order to understand where this command comes from, you need, we need a little bit of background in the book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 10 itself. I was reading Hebrews 10 again this morning uh, when I got up and was just, again, I wish I could preach this whole chapter to you. I'm not going to do that today, okay? Um, but this, there's a lot of, of things here to understand where this is coming from as you go through Hebrews. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews makes a case throughout the entire book that can be summed up in three words. Jesus is better. That is the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. Jesus is better than the prophets, the angels, and the law. God is good, and in his goodness he has acted in this world in wondrous ways. And from the very beginning, from the jump of the book of Hebrews, we understand this, that the highest and greatest revelation of God to man came in Jesus Christ. He is better. He has come to fulfill the law, which he did. He came to die for the sins of mankind, which he did. He has risen again. So therefore, 
we can be made new in him, placed in the family of God. We understand that in Jesus, then, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have boldness to come before God's throne of grace. And so, as you make your way through the book of Hebrews, and you get to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, there's been some discussion going on about the covenants that God has made. Specifically, you have the Old Covenant, which you find in the Old Testament, the covenant of the law, versus the covenant of grace that is made in Jesus Christ. And once again, guess what the author says? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The covenant that Jesus makes with us through his finished work on the cross is better than the old covenant, the covenant of the law. And so here in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer tells us that Jesus' work on our behalf has ramifications on our lives. He tells us that Jesus has made an offering for sin one time and is now seated at the right hand of God having finished the work that he came to complete. The author tells us here that if the sacrifices had been made under the Old Testament were effective, and if the sacrifices were indeed better, then they wouldn't have been offered time after time after time. But he says that each year those offerings had to be made. But when Jesus made his sacrifice, he made it one time and he sat down finishing the work. He continues to tell us that through his redemptive, transformative work, Jesus saves all of those who trust in him. Jesus transfers them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. And so, with such salvation comes a responsibility by those who have been saved. He says, he goes through this first part of chapter 10, talking about the covenant, talking about what he's done with him. And you get to verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And it continues from there. But those three verses that set up verse 22, 19, 20, and 21 says, look, Because of all of this, because of who Jesus is, and because of what he's done, here's how we need to respond. And the long and short of it is this. We are saved to serve the Savior. We are redeemed to carry out the purposes of the kingdom. With salvation comes a responsibility by those who have been saved. The work of Jesus Christ the salvation from our sins, the sanctification of our hearts is a work that takes place on the inside, does it not? It is a work that saves our souls and redeems us from the inside out. But that's the thing. It doesn't stop there. See, what happens on the inside has effects on the outside. And we understand that for almost anything in life, right? That what you believe about something what you, what you feel, has it comes out in what you do, right? This past week, on Wednesday, it was a great day. February 14th was Wednesday. And you know what that means, right? Braves, pitchers, and catchers reported to spring training. It was a great day, okay? <laughs> and so, you know, when you guys came to breakfast yesterday morning here, was there something else that happened on Wednesday? 
Because I had Braves pitchers and catchers. Did you have something else on 14th of, of February? Oh, Valentine's Day, right? I guess that's pretty important. In either case, right, I'm going to go on with my illustration about Braves, okay? And then I'll come back. When you came to breakfast yesterday here, the guys noticed I had my big red sweatshirt on with a big A on it because I'm a big Braves fan. Why? Because I, this is something that, that goes, it's personal to me. It's inside and it comes out. Now let's talk about the other one that you want to really want to talk about. February 14th was Valentine's Day, right? And some of you in here, you have a Valentine, right? And so you have, that's something that begins from within, right? The love that you feel and it, it results in outward expressions, or at least it should, right, of that love. Why do you go through those silly illustrations? To show us this, the, the same principle is the things that God has done in our hearts and lives, they have manifestations on the outside as well. The way that God has transformed your inner man results in the way that you act on the outer man. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, look, because this is what has happened, because of what Jesus has done, here are the results. Here's what we need to know. Here are, are, are the, the responsibilities that we have. Our behaviors are changed. So therefore, we read the command that I read you here this morning in verses 24 and, and 25 that, that we are to, as we hold fast to the confession of our hope in Jesus, we have a responsibility then to what? He says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We are to, to consider, to give thought to, to, to dedicate ourselves to, how, to, to this process. How do we stir up? How do we help one another? And he's talking about fellow believers there to, to grow in the love and good works of God. And these are inarguably godly behaviors. We are to stimulate agape love in the lives of others. Agape love is self-sacrificial love that chooses to love its object. We are to encourage one another to do the good works of God. And I want to be clear here. The writer is not saying, okay, now I want you to get together and I want you to make good citizens of each other. This is more than that. What he is saying here is he's saying you need to help other Christians in their walk with God. You need to help them live in a godly way. And there is an obvious tone here in verse 24 and verse 25 of community. Churches are a community. We are a fellowship of believers who are united for the cause of Christ to carry out the, 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 the purposes of the church. And so the question is, how are we to do that? How are we to stir up one another to love and to good works? And he, go, he continues in verse 25. He tells us how to do it by telling us how not to do something. Did you catch that? He says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We stir up fellow believers to love and good works by not neglecting to meet together. Now, the word neglect here comes from a Greek word that means to forsake, to abandon, or desert. Okay, with one S. 
We are to stir up one another by not deserting one another. We are to stir up one another by not abandoning, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's a word that carries no type of positive context. It's a very negative thing. And there's something the author says, by the way, that is the habit, the practice of some. And it's a shameful thing that there are Christians or professing Christians who take such a cavalier and cold attitude towards the church. And that's exactly what is pictured here when he says, not neglecting to meet together. It's what he's speaking of. The word there speaks of an assembly. And it's obviously in that context, we would recognize that as a church, as people gathering together for the purposes of the local church. Christians have a duty and a commitment, he says, to one another within the church. And we fulfill this by joining the assembly of God's people in the church. And instead of abandoning one another, the author says we need to encourage one another. He says they're not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Again, the idea behind this word is is the idea we we come alongside one another and we admonish and we exhort one another in the things of God, specifically what we found in verse 24. We, We come alongside and encourage one another to love, agape love of God, and good works, doing the things of God, obedience to God. We are called to do all of this, the author says, As we see the day drawing near. He says at the end of the verse, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the question becomes then, what is the day, right? What is the day he's talking about? Are we talking about you got to meet at night and do a lot more exhorting as it gets daylight? No, what he's talking about is a specific day. You may notice there, you may have in your translation, as I do in mine, that the word day is capitalized. Meaning there's a specific day that he has in mind. And the day that the author has in mind is the day of the Lord. It is the return of Jesus at the end. The scriptures tell us what the end times will be like. That they will be days that are filled with evil and sin. That that things in those days will progress from bad to worse. And the biblical authors and other authors down through the ages since them felt the reality of this passage. They feel the reality of the scriptures that we live in evil days. We feel this in our day that we see as we see sin running rampant in the world in which we live. And truly, we could say this. The day of the Lord is nearer today than it was yesterday, right? Every day that we go, the day of the Lord is nearer because we are one day closer to his return. So therefore, the expectation of God holds true every day. Don't forsake the assembling of believers, but be there to encourage one another. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world that is hostile to the gospel and hostile to the followers of God. Shouldn't surprise us, by the way, Jesus told us that's the way the world is going to be. So therefore, what do we need? We need one another. We need the encouragement of believers. We need the conviction of the word of God in our lives In short, we need the church. But in a way, even in saying, you know, we need this, we need this, we've kind of flipped the passage a little bit on its head because what did he say? Did he say, you need this, you need this, you, you, you? He said, no, you go and encourage and admonish, right, one another, stir up one another to love and to good works. Really, what is God telling us here? He's telling us that our brothers and sisters in Christ need us. 
Not because you're Mr. Super Christian walking into the room, but because we have a ministry and a mission together. We have a ministry and a mission to one another. You see, when believers gather together, God is honored and glorified. When believers gather together to fulfill this passage, the purpose of the church is being carried out. When the preacher proclaims the word of God, giving the gospel, as well as building up and equipping believers, the mission of the church set forth by God advances. And when we, as Christians, make a conscious choice not to be there, we have abandoned the calling of God on our lives as believers. We deliberately then sin against what God has called us to do. And if we continue in such behavior, we should well expect God's discipline in our lives. The author of Hebrews will touch on that in Hebrews chapter 12, that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. For the Christian, this is God's work. The discipline that he brings into our lives is God's work to bring us back into a right relationship with him. But if one continues on in sin and doesn't experience the conviction of God on sin, or doesn't experience the correction of God to bring him back, that one can expect judgment from the Lord. Because God judges sin. The one who truly belongs to God, though, has within him a desire from the Lord to be with God's people. The one who does not feel this, This desire to be with God's people severely misunderstands God's call in his life or doesn't know God's call or doesn't know God at all. And so purposely forsaking God's people from this passage we learn is is serious business. And so as a believer, we are called as Christians to faithfully fulfill God's command and, and make a commitment to being faithful to the church. And so I want to just talk about that from this passage. I want us to, to, to talk through the ramifications of what does faithfulness commitment look like in our lives. In light of this passage, what is that commitment we need to make to church? Why do we go to church? How does that inform my attitude towards church? Well, in a way, it should fill us with a sense of duty and commitment in a good way. It should implore me in my life to prioritize the church. But unfortunately, church is often looked at as that which I need to be convenient in my life. I want to go back to how I opened the service this morning and talk about the consumerist mindset that has taken over our lives. Because everything in our life is so easy to get or not get, right? That if I want this, I want that, I can go here, I can go there. And so the idea that, that has fallen into our lives is, well, church just has to kind of fit in the box where it is most convenient. And especially in our first world freedom-loving country, We enjoy such ease that we must ever be on guard in our lives against complacency. As long as church doesn't interfere with what I already have going on, the thinking becomes, then I'll be there. And as long as I can accomplish my task, my life goals, get the right amount of sleep, whatever, you know, those things, they begin to crowd into our lives and they begin to crowd out our commitment to the church. But we have to understand that the gathering of God's people is a lifeline for my successful Christian walk in a sinful world. It is vital to what God calls me to do, to be a ministry to other people. 
It is the, the privilege to pour into other lives, other Christians' lives, is a glorious thing. The benefits of others investing in my spiritual walk are countless. And so the question is, why do we ever abandon such a thing? Well, sometimes these things are outside of our control, right? Sometimes we realize we live in a sin-cursed world and we have sin-cursed bodies. Do you ever feel that, right? Some of you are like, every day, right? Sometimes we are stricken down with sickness or frailty. Sometimes it's our kids who are taken down requiring a parent to stay home. I want to be clear, this certainly does not fall under the intentional abandonment of, the, of God's people. We, we, some, we have our limitations as human beings sometimes. There are times we have emergencies we must tend to requiring our immediate attention. And when we, when we do miss church, we're not here with God's people a good question for us to ask ourselves is, what is the response of our heart in that moment? Do I long to be there? Do I, do I feel the loss of the gathering of believers in my heart, in my life, and life when I'm not present? And how you answer that question will tell you a lot about your spiritual walk with the Lord and your attitude towards church. And such a discussion warrants a practical application and observation. You know, the busyness of our world and the consumerism that permeates our lives has undeniably affected how we attend church, does it not? Look at churches across our country. If you just were to go today from church to church across our country, you open up the back door and just look, right? We're just looking, you know, just church shopping whatever you want to say. And you look across and you see the people gathered there. I challenge you, come back on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. It's going to be a lot smaller, is it not? It's going to be a lot less people sitting in the church. The fall-off actually is quite staggering when you think about it. And the question is, why is that? Well, I would argue that for whatever reason... We're ready to apply the truths of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 20 and 24 and 25, to one service during the week, but not to the others. And the service we usually apply this to is, well, we got to be there on Sunday morning. And I get it. Okay, I just want to be very practical. It takes a lot of commitment to be at multiple church services in, a, in seven days. I understand that, okay? I, I, I know. It, it takes a lot to get up, get going, get the kids together, whatever you got to do. I understand that obedience to the Lord isn't something that always seems easy, but I can tell you this, it's always worth it. And the argument, I know I've, I've heard it made before. Well, you know, we do Sunday school and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I mean, I've never seen those things in the Bible. Okay, you know what? I'll tell you this, you're right. And for that matter, I've never seen Sunday morning service stipulated in the Bible either, right? God doesn't say in his word, you know, uh, you meet at X amount of time and this and that and, you know, and you know, you've been here long enough to know, he definitely doesn't say how long the pastor's supposed to preach, okay? God never specifies to the church when she is to gather to worship. These things have developed over time within the cultures they exist. What did God say? God said, be faithful. God said, stir up one another. God said, don't neglect to meet together. And you know what? 
I get it. Holding Sunday school, two corporate worship and preaching services on a Sunday, and a midweek service on Wednesday, that may not be the best way to do church. I'm willing to tell you that. There may be a more effective or a more godly way to carry this out, depending on your culture, your needs uh, of, your, of your community, how you execute the mission of your church from the Lord. But I would tell you this. If you're going to be part of a local body, you say, look, that's the local body that, that I'm going to be a part of. I'm going to commit to. We do well to honor the commitment we make to the Lord and to those believers. Say, so you know what? Maybe I don't agree with everything. Maybe I don't think about this service or that service. I want to be there. I want to be a part of, of that church, and I want to honor that commitment to the Lord. Because at the end of the day, church isn't about what I want. It's about what God has designed it to be. I think we all agree on that because we've talked about that through this series. Unless we stray too far the other way, I want to be very careful that I don't step off one side into the legalism side here either, okay? I, uh, if you attend every service at a church, you know, you, you write them down, you're there because, hey, you know what? This will get me in. This is it. This is the way I get into heaven. This is the way I get from what, what I want from God. This is the way I, I get people on my side. This is the, you know, if, if you think that, that you have the, or if you have this overwhelming sense of guilt, you know, if I don't go, the pastor's going to be mad or something's going to happen or this, or that, and the other, then I would argue that you're also not going to church for the right reasons, okay? But I would, again, say that a dismissive attitude towards the gathering of believers goes against the Bible's teaching on such things. As a Christian, I should long to be with God's people when the doors of the church are open. And if I don't have a desire and a longing to be with God's people in the, in the church, I should ask myself this question, why is that? Why do I not have that desire in my heart? Now, could it be that, that I don't understand God's call to me as a believer in this regard? Could it be that my love for the church or the Lord has grown cold could it be that I've confused the priorities of my life? And I tell you this, the great question, the great, the great reality in all of this is that every one of us has room to grow, right? The race isn't done until we reach heaven. So we continue to grow and change. Our God will graciously help us grow in the service of his kingdom and in the love for his church. And as always, that has to be God's work in us. So let us be challenged in our hearts to examine our attitudes towards church and, and our faithfulness to following the Lord in this regard. So, if you want to ask the question, why do I attend church? Why should I go to church? The first answer is this. I attend church to faithfully fulfill God's command. God has saved me to serve him. He's laid out a mission for me to fulfill as part of his body. And if I'm not here, if I'm not there, I cannot fulfill the command that God has given me through the grace of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I had plans to get to point two today, and we're not going to go there, okay? We're going to go right to the end. So you can see all this for next week. Where do we, where do we say, back to our statement here. Christians are called to dedication to the local church for the purpose of exercising the character of the new man and furthering the mission of the kingdom of God. 
You examine the, the scriptures, specifically examine, as we mentioned today, Hebrews chapter 10, you find this. Salvation in Christ is a glorious and wonderful gift. As salvation, we are transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, from the realm of darkness and gloom to the realm of light and wondrous hope. We are freed from the enslavement to self and sin, and we have been freed to serve the Savior in his strength. That's what salvation gives us. And such salvation demands action. As I said at the beginning, Paul tells us we are made new in Jesus. And that new man comes with new desires, new goals, and a new purpose. And the most basic of, desires, the most basic of these desires is a desire to now do the things of God. You don't have that without him. And so the answer of the question of why do I go to church, the most basic answer is because I have a responsibility to the king of kings to assemble with his people and be involved in that work. The incredible truth is that God creates within us the desire to gather with his people. And that doesn't mean our flesh won't fight against us. The tendencies and the behaviors of the old man fight against the new man constantly. How many of you have felt that in the last week or so? The Christian life is war. So therefore, let us be engaged. And the reality is that, that the reality that, that we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil is all the more reason to gather with God's people. In a world that hates God and his word, we need a refuge where we can be encouraged in the things of the Lord. We need a place where we can hear the truth, experience the conviction of sin, and engage in the ministries of the things of God. This is what the church is. And so let me encourage you as we close today to just consider what God tells us through his word. And make that personal application even to our own hearts and lives. What does that require of me? When I'm not there, do I notice? When I'm not there, how, how do I respond? When I'm sitting at home making a decision, am I going to go, am I not going to go, how do I think about this passage and its ramifications it has on my life as a believer? And may we do so, may we, may, we, may we live that out, may we engage in those thoughts so that we can continue to grow and change and take the next spiritual step that God has for us to take as we grow in the love of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and the opportunity to be here Again, to, to worship you, to hear the word of God, to see its truth poured out in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would convict us today. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't convict us with words of a man, but you would convict us with the word of God. That you would show us the expectations you have in our lives, and you would help us to flesh those things out in our own hearts and lives. You would help us to rightly question and wonder, so what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my faithfulness to my local church? What does this mean for what God has called me to do in that local church? And Lord, help us to not just leave those thoughts and wrestlings here in the pew, but help us to take them with us today and May they inform our actions and behaviors. May they sink deep within our hearts. 
may you continue to use them in our lives today and this week. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we examine our hearts and lives and we come across cold hearts, sinful thoughts, behaviors. Lord, help us to confront those with the Spirit of God. May we seek your help to change and alter these things, not because we are trying to fit into some legalistic mold, but because we want to we want to be closer to you. We want to have a better relationship with you. We want to carry out the work that you have given us to carry out. And Lord, as you work on our lives individually, we know that you will receive the honor and the glory corporately as a body of believers. We ask now as we close our service that you would be honored and gloried in it, that you would go before us the rest of this day. In your name we pray. Amen.